believe uh, the end of that sermon, that, that sermon we just heard the ending to was Peter's sermon. Um, the day of Pentecost is the greatest beginning of a sermon ever. Men, listen to me. These men aren't drunk, as you say. It's only nine in the morning. That's how he started that one. He had a, he had a point to prove that these men and women that were there on the day of Pentecost were not occupied by a foreign substance that would deplete them but by a Holy Spirit that had uplifted them. That what you're seeing from these men is is something beautiful. That God is doing something great. And every generation has to meet this Jesus that Peter speaks of here. This Jesus who was crucified for us, who is now King and Messiah. That He is now Lord and Savior. This Jesus that that we, we speak of in church when we are children. We have to get to know this Jesus again. And the reason we have to... Every generation has to hear this and learn this and meet this Jesus afresh. Is that every generation, we start piling things on Jesus. And sometimes he can be hard to see. It is my um, frustration in the world of the religious world, churches, in general, that we've got these young ministers coming in who are on fire. They want to change the world. And they've got churches that are, that we've got a lot of churches now that need ministers. A lot of them. And they want these ministers to come in and make enough changes that the system changes, that people start showing up but also, at the same time, no changes at all. If you could pull that off, that'd be great. And these preachers and youth ministers and children's ministers and all sorts of ministers come into the the church world and they want to walk on the water with Jesus and they're just stuck trudging through the mud. It is a devastating reality check when they show up. It's because we've, we've, we've tacked on a lot of things. And sometimes those are good and they can be helpful. But sometimes they get in the way of what we're truly called to see. This Jesus who was crucified is now Lord and Savior. All that mess can kind of get in the way sometimes. I, my, my favorite, my favorite weekend of football was two weeks ago. 
the, uh, the AFC and the NFC championships in the NFL. Some of you are college football people. I like to watch professionals um, play. I mean, that's why he's an Alabama fan. They already pay their players. There's, so there's... <laughs> but that it, we are... Um, but I, I like those two games. The winner of those two games goes to the Super Bowl. Biggest honor in the world. But what those two games are, it's just, it's just football games. It's just football games like you would see week eight of the NFL season. I'm sorry, the, there's some sports analogies. I know I'm not supposed to do those anymore, but here we are. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Live with me for a little bit. But it's just football. They line up. They say random words. Hey, Cincinnati, 42, and then something. They're clapping sometimes. And then the play goes, and it's a success or a failure. And you just watch it happen. Tonight, they will have the big game. We're not licensed to say it here. (laughs) They will have the big game as Pepsi calls it. And there will be some football. But it is mostly other things. It is, there, there's streamers and confetti and there's smoke. A couple of years ago, they had so much smoke billowing in at the opening of the game that it took about a quarter and a half for it to dissipate. Y'all didn't know I knew that word. I didn't either. And the Holy Spirit saved me. There's, so there's, but it's, it's nothing like what, what you would experience on a Friday night at a high school or Saturday night at a college or, 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 or even on Sunday during the race. It's just fluff. And it can be useful and it's entertaining, but sometimes the fluff gets in the way of the thing the fluff is celebrating. Nowadays, when people look at the church and they go, I don't, I don't know if that's right. I'm questioning what I've always believed. They're not questioning Jesus. And you know, to be honest, I think that's why some preachers are taking it so personally. It's because it has nothing to do with whether or not Jesus was who Jesus said he was. Now, that may play into it a little bit, but for the most part, people are looking at the church and they're saying, that system is broken. And anybody who would get uptight about that and offended by that hasn't met people. Have you ever tried to do a group project? Remember that some of, some of you in school were good students. And then when the teacher said, all right, we're going to do work in groups, you thought, may the Lord bless me and keep me. <laughs> may his face shine upon me and give me peace. Because you knew that you were going to have to carry all of these other folks. What the teacher was essentially announcing was, good news, 
you're going to have to tutor some kids. Now, we're not going to call out who was what. But working in a group is difficult. Participating in a system is difficult. Things get missed. You don't do things perfectly. Like Joanna said, like, the, like there, are, there are just times we will fail you. That's just going to happen. Humans. But the structures and the, the systems of church, when they've been questioned and they do not hold up under scrutiny, because they don't, there still stands Jesus. There he is. Just this this Jesus who died and it didn't take. He overcame death. He conquered sin. His grace is abundant. When I was a uh, young preacher 15 years ago, I was with, still I guess, but I was, I happened to be in a small country church when I started. Tiny little country church in Teague, Texas. Pronounced Tig. They played Little League and Tig. <laughs> and, I mean, just a, a nothing, like just no, no business there. No, it was just a, a small little church. Our house was on the property of the church building because, you know, what's better than one landlord? Seventy. We'd walk to church and got to, uh, we had loved our elders and their families there. And um, One of our elders' wives was um, the daughter of James Woodruff, who has written uh, uh, Between a Rock and Hard Place, who's big character in our in our brotherhood in our story and occasionally just some Sundays there'd be we called him Jim there'd be Jim just sitting in the pews and I would go hey do you want to switch <laughs> with me because I feel inadequate and if you if you were still with us and here I'd still feel the same way I was speaking with him one time because he, he got in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble in his day talking about how the church wasn't the point, but Jesus was the point. He told, he told me early on, he said, Benjamin, if you preach Jesus, you'll build a church. If you preach your church, you'll build a denomination. I don't care what you call it. And when people point fingers at the church now and say, that's, in, like, that's not right, that there's something y'all are doing there that isn't right, they probably have a point. Because we are broken, we are a broken system, but we worship, we worship a God who came to earth and in that person we find a king who is greater than we can 
ever imagine and holds up under scrutiny. Question Jesus. And they tried, didn't they? What's the greatest commandment? Let's say a man has seven wives. Or, or, yeah, I mean, they all, seven husbands, and they die, and then they're, all of a sudden, you go to heaven, who's she married to there? They asked him. Who's my neighbor? They asked him. And he had answers. And it all came back to who they loved and how well they did it. The part of this sermon that strikes me, starting in verse 32, this Jesus God raised up. And of that, all of us are witnesses. He's saying he was resurrected from the dead. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you both see and hear. Now, what was happening is all of them were speaking and everybody was hearing the, the, the speech of the disciples from in their own language, in their own dialect. The list is, is, is huge. Being able to, to speak into this wide group of people that, that, that hear things differently. I mean, you, you guys know just from East Texas to West Texas, you can hear a bit of a difference. But these, these guys were coming from different languages and different places and, and different dialects of those languages. And from all over, they heard and they understood. And with everyone listening, they weren't then saying, okay, we've got a system of church that's really gonna, that's really gonna grow. We've got a program for your kids that's really gonna bring in the young parents. They weren't saying this is how, you know, if the elders would just do this or the ministers would just do this, then, then something spectacular would happen. Of course people are broken and not, are not going to be able to stand up under scrutiny. But this Jesus who was raised from the dead, if he can handle death and our sins, he can handle our questions our worries, our doubts. And you got to think about Peter on that stage, on that, in front of that crowd, on that stage, in front of that crowd. How much of their very understanding of how the world works was he throwing at them at that time? Not only did the Messiah come, you, we, we crucified him, Conquered death and now he reigns with God. Just such a paradigm shift, such a strange thing to, to interact with, a, a thought to go, that's not, I don't even know how that, how I'm supposed to deal with that today. He goes on. For David did not ascend into the heavens. But he himself says, the Lord 
said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let the entire house of Israel know with certainty that God has made him both Lord and Messiah. This Jesus whom you crucified. I think sometimes when the Holy Spirit lights us on fire, it burns away a lot of the shaft, like the chaff that burns away a lot of like the just the dry brokenness of our system and makes us turn again afresh to look at it's just Jesus. Let's just get back to Jesus. There can be a cry of like, I don't know, but see, Jesus taught certain things and we've got to live by those things. Yeah, 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 I'm with you. Like, I want to follow the teachings of Jesus, but let's not meander off to Paul before we've sat in the Sermon on the Mount. And we've stared in the face the love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. We've, we've sat and been challenged by when you are slapped, turn the other cheek. When you are persecuted, give up more. Surrender to the violence of this world, he says. Let's not be more concerned with what goes on during this one hour than we are by how we are affected by the king himself. In our day-to-day life, is Jesus ruling over me? This can be heard in your marriage. It can be heard at your, at your job and seen the way, the way you decide to treat others because Jesus is your king. That you have not, you have not given yourself the throne, but here Jesus is on the throne. He is Lord and Savior, and now I have to give him my life. And if I'm living, if I'm living out the church, it's not going to be enough of a spirit. The spirit of the church is not enough of a spirit to get me through the just the drastic things Jesus calls me to. But it's the Spirit of God that lives in me. And sometimes can tell me about what's important and what's not important and what I need to let go and what I need to hold on to. But Jesus' message of forgiveness and mercy and grace can rule your life in a way that churches can have factions, can't they? Where one person calls up the other and like, did you like that song we sang? Did you like that? Well, I, I don't know what song you're talking Yeah, the song I didn't like. Did you like that song? Of course I didn't like the song you didn't like. Why didn't you say so at the beginning? I don't like it. Do you think green was the best color for the carpet? (laughs) Shouldn't we take up the blue tape? Does it even matter anymore? It's just decoration. uh, On and on again, we can go. Just like this. 
one complaint after the other. And what we do is we grab people and we go, oh, look at that. The church has been frustrated by the outside world complaining about the church, mainly because the church believes that's the church's job. We have been complaining about the brokenness and, and really not big brokenness, pettiness, minutia. Really, it boils down to I am not getting my way. I had a man in church pull me aside one Sunday morning. We had decided that morning to play music. On the, through the speakers while people were, softly, you could barely hear it. Barely hear it. Cause if it was a sin, it was barely one. Cause it was very quiet. It was quiet sin. And he pulled me aside and he said, I feel like we might as well just call ourselves a Baptist church. And I said, okay, why, what, what? And he said, we got this music, we had, we had that, we, we had just started doing the greet your neighbor, which is horrifying for half the people. We were greeting neighbors, and I was, well, I don't like it. And I don't know if it was the Spirit of God moving in me or what, but I'm typically not this bold, but, he, but it worked. I said, well, the good news is we make none of these decisions based on what you will like. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about it anymore. He goes, he said, I guarantee you. He said, oh, well, good. <laughs> it was over. <laughs> I don't know what God did with my words before they got to his ears. But like that, that sense of I've got to have, we've just, we we wanted our way. And the mission of God has nothing to do with your way. It has everything to do with the fact that Jesus is king and ruling over our lives. I, I need that king. Because when I'm king, it falls to pieces, doesn't it? I need the king that encourages me to forgive when I've been wrong. I need the king that encourages me to show grace to those who are learning. So show grace and kindness to those who aren't quite there yet and they haven't figured it out. And I need the king who gives me a swift kick in the pants when I think I have figured it out. This Jesus who Peter preaches is the Jesus at the center of everything we do and should be the center of everything we do. That when people come into this place, they don't see or, or interact with my life, they don't see a Glenwoodian. They see a follower of Christ. That the way that my patience and my perseverance with people, my kindness with people, my, like my joy, my love is evident. And when they see the best of me, 
they see my king. And he says, this Jesus whom you crucified is now Lord and Savior. Everyone just stops him right there and says, because I don't have, he didn't say stand and sing, so I'm guessing there was more to the sermon. But 37, everyone just says, they look around and they say, whoa, 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 what should we do now? And he says, repent. And be immersed into Jesus. And this call that he has to them, this response that he asks of them, is the response he's asking of us. That if the church can become too much of a structure that people are starting to look at it and go, I don't trust it. That they miss the fact that Jesus is king when they show up or when they see the church from the outside. If they are missing that and we're looking around and we're going, guys, what do we do? Repent and immerse yourself in Jesus. Sins will be forgiven. And you will be filled with the gift of the Holy Spirit.